This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Alright everyone and welcome to another edition of Scare of Scuttlebutt Quick Cuts. If you are stumbling on this series of shows, let me remind you, Quick Cuts are three topics that we pick apart with the help of a special guest. And for those of you who are not new to the Quick Cuts episodes, we've got a great discussion lined up. I thank you for tuning in once again. Let's get the show started. Welcome, one and all, to another Quick Cuts episode. I'm Ro, and across the stratosphere from me, as usual, I present to you the hater of milkshakes. Please say your name <laughs> so people can know the truth. Come on. Oh, my God. When I now I don't want to. Nope. <laughs> Anonymous. <laughs> Anonymous. Jeez. And you had quite a list. I hate all of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are like, what in the world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how I stay skinny. I don't eat. <laughs> yeah. What kind of childhood did you... Uh, I ate all up? my fruits and vegetables, so mom and dad can't complain that much. Yeah. And I, I guess I uh, I can kind of relate because my son is uh, really into broccoli and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Good for him. <laughs> Marisha's Mer- face is like, what? That's why I'm five yeah. foot seven. I ate my vegetables. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Well, we've got another great list of uh, quick cut topics and uh, a regular set of people here on Scarif. Andrew Marisha from the sciencefictionary.com. Welcome, family. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to be here. I haven't <laughs> been here in a while. Andrew's been around, but I've been otherwise engaged. Absolutely. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We always uh, love having you guys here on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Um, you know, before we dive into our topics, Andrew, I wanted to ask you, can you remind our listening audience uh, what we cooked up with uh, the Parsec Fan Awards and how that is kind of working out? I know we're, we're um, I'm, let's just say that I'm going to release this episode. Today is the 17th of August. It's a Tuesday uh, I'm going to release this this week on Thursday. So you're listening to this on Thursday, so it's not going to be too far ahead in the future. But uh, tell us a little bit about Parsec Fan Awards. Yeah, if you're listening to this on Thursday, then on the day that this releases, then you've got just under a week to send in your nominations for the Parsec Fan Awards, which is uh, a new kind of a, it's a Red 5 project and a community engagement project to uh, to to let us interact with with the people who are out there listening and and for the network to get together and do something uh, there's a sheet you can follow the account at um, at parsec fan awards on Twitter uh, you can send us a, a message at um, the parsec awards on Gmail and we can send you that list. We'll send you the whole list of uh, sections that we need nominations for. Uh, you don't have to nominate in every category. There may be some categories you may not be into video games or comic books or, or some of those things. Just don't don't nominate in those categories. Nominate in the ones. If, if there's one category you really want to nominate something for, go for it. Uh, the more, the better. And uh, we're really looking forward to uh, seeing where that goes. 
That sounds like a lot of fun. I will have my submission soon. I cannot follow directions, so I need to make some adjustments. I wrote Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars all the way down. So I got to change. I got to change my answers accordingly. Shocking. We're all all shocked. Oh, my. But uh, I did see that uh, you did ask for two uh, titles or two nominations in each category. Is that correct? I'll take two just to get enough. And and sure. if we get, I mean, if we have a list of 50, then we may have to start going through the list and seeing which ones had multiple nominations and narrow it down. But uh, we'll see how that goes, depending on how many nominations we actually get turned in. Excellent. Excellent. That does sound like a lot of fun. And I hope a lot of people participate. I know there have been some of us uh, in the Red 5 network that are really uh, itching to go. I know a lot of our friends are also really excited. Uh, I'm I'm talking about Nick. He's uh, been uh, (laughs) DMing me, uh, you know, certain uh, questions and submissions and things like that. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to have a uh, gigantic gala at the Hollywood Bowl. No, I wish. (laughs) That would Please. be cool. But uh, yeah. With all of that a- money we don't make doing this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How far can uh, $3.28 stretch out this uh, <laughs> this endeavor? Excellent. Yeah. So Parsec Fan Awards. We have a Twitter account. Uh, go follow that. And, uh, you know, follow it and stay tuned for all the cool things that are uh, going to happen under there. But what a great idea. It gives us an opportunity to kind of interact with a lot of our fans, not just within the Red 5 network, but a lot of the fans and a lot of the uh, listeners and followers that that each and every one of us uh, have. So just a lot of fun. Uh, Go check it out. Parsec Fan Awards. Shanti, um, you know, lately we've been talking about movies and uh, how we love movies. There are certain things that we kind of hold sacred, uh, especially mm-hmm. between us. You know, we have uh, we have kind of differentiated a film versus a movie. Uh, we obviously talk about movies as being, you know, artful. Uh, there are obviously the popcorn flicks uh summer blockbusters there are the more movies that kind of make you think um but uh you know they all have kind of a i guess a degree of artistic um you know uh elements that go into it obviously because each movie there's no eye in filmmaking i guess there is but you know what i mean <laughs> but, but uh, metaphorically yeah no, right exactly, exactly. But, um, you know, a while back, there was uh, an artist uh, from the movie studios that released an image of a certain uh, digital hedgehog. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the Internet kind of went crazy. Uh, do you guys remember that? Yeah, because oh, I was yeah. one of those people. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> and this is actually this is before we uh, we met you. But yes. uh so Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, which is out now, I think it's um, mm-hmm. it was released in 2020, I think. Was it last year? No, it was 2019. It was before. 2019. I think it was before all this happened. It no. was before the, it was before in the before the times. times. Yeah, before <laughs> the dark times. <laughs> all right. Well, now I'm going to have to uh, adjust my Parsec fan awards. But anyway, that's another story. So uh, 
Um, the artist uh, that designed Sonic the Hedgehog released that image. And like I said, the internet kind of went a little haywire. Um, do you guys remember what were some of the comments? I'll ask Shanti because obviously she's one of them. What were some of the comments that that image kind of brought to mind? The one that I remember in particular, because it was actually the first thought that I had being a fan of this movie, but he definitely looked like uh, Kirsten Dunst's younger brother from Jumanji when he turns into a monkey. Wow, that's oddly specific. <laughs> Very specific, I know, but believe it or not, that was <laughs> my first thought. It, it just looked really strange, maybe a little too human-like. The teeth were, I think, another <laughs> big issue. And as someone who played a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, since like the age of 10, I actually haven't even seen the movie yet, but still, I was so pissed by the way that it looked. I was actually really thrilled when they decided to change it. So, yeah, that's the thing. The uh, The artist uh, kind of released that image. The internet kind of took over, mm-hmm. and uh, the artist kind of went back to the drawing board. Uh, Andrew, I-, I know, you know, as a photographer, as a person that creates graphics and things like that, how um, how unique is that for someone, especially in, in Hollywood, to be able to do that and not only ask fans what they think, but kind of take those comments into account? Yeah, I mean... I guess one of the things I, you know, and I, I think that this, I had a conversation, I can't remember who it was. That's kind of a small movie maker. And he was talking about criticism and, you know, I told him about, and I, I talked about this the other night on our red five live, you know, the way that we did critiques in school and uh, in, in the photography school where we had, in, where we had to put our work up in front of the whole class at the end of every class and you listen to everyone in the room, critique your piece of work. And uh, you grow a thicker skin. But uh, the the guy I was talking to, he said, man, I wish they had done that to us at film school. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was an interesting thing. Now, the Sonic thing is really interesting because it seems like there were people working on the movie that weren't super thrilled with the look also mm. that were very glad they got the feedback. It's almost like they put the stuff out there hoping to get some feedback that might let the, make the studio budge a little bit. But man, it's a, it's like a very complicated thing when you start talking about, you know, making changes because of an outcry from, from a community. It's because as a creator, you have a vision and you know what the end product is supposed to look like and you know where it's all going. And you're, especially with Sonic, because you have this outcry before the movie's out or before it's even finished which was a unique situation to begin with. Um, and it, it's, I don't know. I don't know where you draw the line of like listening to the fans versus knowing what your vision is and completing it. Sonic was an existing IP though. It was an existing franchise that people were already attached to. If they had just drummed this up from nowhere and been like, and this is, you know, Lulu the tortoise who's Mm -hmm. super fast I don't think people would have cared that much but it was Sonic the Hedgehog and people were invested in that because I mean the movie was just another nostalgia um you know it, it, it was to appeal to the nostalgia of people my age and so whenever it's supposed to be nostalgic and you come out with this character that doesn't look anything like the one that people knew and loved and it didn't it wasn't like they made it look like a real hedgehog Mm -hmm. which that would have been 
something altogether different, but they just made it like a, just a weird knock. It looked like a knockoff of the original Sonic. It looks like somebody was trying to make Sonic, but you know, not infringe on copyrights or something. Um, And so I think that's different too, than someone having an original vision. You know, it's not like someone went in and said, told George Lucas, he was making star Wars. Hey, I hate the way stormtroopers look. That's dumb. Right. It's a completely different thing. It was something that already existed. And people said that doesn't look anything like the character that we already know and love. Right. Took the words right out of my mouth. This was a January 2020 release, by the way. Okay. okay so it was. It was early last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Marisha, you, you bring up a, uh, an excellent point. So, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was already an established IP. You had people that were invested in knowing what he looks like, for one, but, you know, thrilled, obviously, that, um, I guess, what's the the company that goes into Sonic? It's Sega, right? Sega. Yeah. So thrilled that Sega is kind of uh, venturing off into movies and Sonic the Hedgehog, obviously a fan favorite, um, is, is, you know, first in the running for this, but um it's it, to me it's very interesting it's very interesting that the company released the image it had its uh comments uh it went back to the drawing board and released it and i i guess you know for the most part and i know some of the red five people like you know salty was very happy the fact that the artist really went back and listened to the fans and he was like a champion for this movie and and encouraged everybody to see it because of that um, what do you guys think about that as far as, you know, really, you know, supporting, I guess, an IP that really listens to, uh, their fan base, um, or do you guys think, and I've also heard this in certain circles that it's kind of a dangerous precedent when fans start to clamor against the creators, uh, in, in favor of having something done their way and not the creator's way. Shanti, what do you, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, as much as I just said that I was happy that they did go back to the drawing board with Sonic, I am actually more of the latter opinion. I do think it gets to that point of where you're not in the industry, you're not the one being paid to do this. You know what I mean? Like everyone has an opinion. There's so many of us who watch these movies and I get it, but then... It is. It's such a fine. It's such a fine line because I don't mind fan service to a certain extent. Just like uh, was saying that you know, there's it's something that's already been established. So there's already a certain expectation. So one another thing that I was thinking of, like I saw the Tomb Raider movie when it first came out. I'm very well aware of she what she looks like. If she was suddenly made a blonde or a redhead, or I mean, there really would have been a lot of outrage. You know what I mean? So. I don't know if it's so much fan service as just sticking to what's been established already. Well, what do you say when, you know, it, a lot of the movies nowadays, I think they're kind of, you know, changing a lot. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, we, we can go back to, you know, the original Battlestar Galactica versus the new Battlestar Galactica. You've got characters that switch genders. You've got characters that switch, uh, you know, identities in some way. Uh boomer uh starbuck is now a female um are they why are they 
why do you think they're changing those characters? Are they just are companies or movie studios just changing because or why is it important to be able to change this? Is it important to change this? Andrew, I'm going to go with you on this question because um, I, I think you have a you have a pretty unique uh, eye for for this sort of thing. What what do you think about that changing just just to change or why do you think the studios are doing this? Like changing in reaction to. Not Criticism even in rea- no 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 Ch- just- like let's take the example of Battlestar Galactica. They changed yeah. the gender of uh, of Starbuck. Why did they do that? I mean, I think they obviously did that particular one because there wasn't a lot of female representation in that. And they the, a lot of these sci-fi sci-fi is an interesting one. It's always an interesting experiment because sci-fi it's kind of like it parallels comic books in a lot of ways. It used to be a thing that if you were into, then you were as an adult, like you were kind of looked down on because that's for kids. And, um, and you can see this clear line of transition of where sci-fi kind of was for kids. And then like they started kind of leaning into adults, but mostly adult men who were the comic book readers as kids. And then the next transition, obviously, to expand your market. And that's the thing. It's it's a lot of people look, oh, they're doing this just to uh, placate. Just to placate to a, a group. But like it's really there's gotta be some level of how do you continue to expand your market? Mm-hmm. And Battlestar was one that didn't have a lot of female characters. And I think they made a fantastic change in that particular case. Sure. I think Dune, the student, the same thing in Dune. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah the 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 new uh, the new film, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you say to people that uh, maybe push back a little bit and say that's fine, but why don't we just make brand new characters in Battlestar Galactica and change their, you know, create like really cool female characters? Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's kind of the the question is. You know, doing ensemble pieces is always difficult, as is. And you see some companies, Marvel's very good at doing ensemble pieces. DC has struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, granted, I haven't seen the new Suicide Squad yet. I hear that they did a pretty good job with that as an ensemble piece. But, you know, a TV show like Battlestar, where you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of characters, like, if they had just created new characters, it's going to take time away from the existing characters. And I don't think people would have been happy there either. So like you create a new character, but you still have to somewhat sideline Starbuck to make room for the new character. People are still going to complain. You're always going to have your detractors. And I, and mm-hmm. I think that I think all this boils down to first, as far as studios are concerned with what do you do with criticism? Well, you know, and if you, if, as long as you maintain the integrity of the story you're telling, that's I, always my thing. It's like, I think that's are always you the, the most st- important thing is yep. it's got the story has to be good before anything else matters. If your story is not good, then people are going to nitpick it to death. Like you, you have to start off with a really solid story. And I think a lot of other complaints disappear into the background. And sometimes we see companies that make this decision. Battlestar did a fantastic job, but sometimes you see shows or or movies that do this, they reboot, they change characters, but the story's bad. And then that leaves this change as like this glaring spot that you can put the blame on. Can anyone say Ghostbusters 2016? (laughs) (laughs) 
That's funny because I know that movie gets a lot of flack, but I remember seeing it. I think I took my son to see it in the theaters and uh, I pretty much enjoyed it. But then again, I think I was also watching it through the eyes of a child because I took my son. I think I did the same thing with, uh, you know, he had never seen Loki. He's 16 years old now, but he had never seen Loki. And and, um, when my wife was out of town, we sat down and watched the entire uh, run of Loki. And he absolutely loved it. And not that I didn't love it. Uh, you know, there, I, you know, I, you hear the criticism from other, um, you know, reviewers and other podcasters, et cetera, et cetera. But just watching him get excited over it got me excited and it made me appreciate, I guess, the art of whatever it is that we were watching. Does the same thing with what if, uh, the new Marvel series, uh, you know, people were like, eh, but it, uh, I really enjoyed it. So I, I think it also, you know, obviously it's, um, it's perspective, um, with a lot of things, but, um, yeah, you know, as far as the case of, uh, Sonic, um, I don't know. Do you guys think that, uh, studios, uh, will learn from what Sonic did, or do you think it's, it's more of a, a hindrance as far as letting the, you know, letting fans just kind of, uh, you know, put their two cents in Shanti, I'll go with you. I think it was an eye opener. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still don't think that they're going to completely one hundred percent rely on what the fans have to say and what critics have to say because at the end of the day, like we've been saying, everyone has an opinion. I think this is all subjective, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be one of those things where it's actually going to be a case by case basis. Yep, it'll be if they still think they can make money, right? It, do enough people dislike it that we'll make more money if we change it right yeah i mean just like what you said with the ghostbusters i personally didn't like the movie but it had nothing to do with the fact that it was a female cast it had to do with the fact i personally didn't like the story i didn't like the effects honestly i just didn't like the movie because i find those women to be hilarious so it had nothing to do with their gender or anything like that right it boils down to story sure yeah Great point. And, you know, this is a a great transition to the next uh, topic. We're talking, Marisha, you you mentioned money and uh, how, you know, obviously the product of Hollywood films and movies are, are, like I said, they're products. Uh, They're designed uh, for one thing, um, you know, to make money, to put butts in seats, to, you know, bring subscriptions up. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But what about our next topic? We've got mass appeal movies like Star Wars and, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, are those movies art? Yes or no? I tend to believe that they are products with kind of an art. You know, obviously everything that uh, you, you see these movies, they're beautiful to look at. There's definitely a certain aspect of art um, that are built into the these movies. But are they art per se, you know, as a standalone? I don't think so because they are mass produced for for one purpose, I, I think. For one purpose and one purpose only is to make money. Um, but Marisha, since you brought it up as far as money goes, and I see you shaking your head a little bit, what, what is, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, these mass, mass movies, uh, as art? Is Shakespeare art? Hmm. No, like I'm asking, do you consider Shakespeare to be art? Um, I personally, I think I do. Yes. Mozart? Yes. 
Okay. Those were written for mass consumption. They were not written to be highbrow. They were not written to be fancy. They were written to be entertaining. Um, I mean, Shakespeare wrote some of the most off-color, ludicrous situations. And I mean, uh, often like Shakespeare's not Shakespeare, um, Mozart's operas are usually performed in their original German, right? But they're really, they're the same kind of stories. They're really off the wall. The music is phenomenal. I mean, it's some of the most impressive music, I mean, ever. He was one of the most brilliant composers ever, but he he wrote highbrow music, but like the magic flute was written to be performed on like a stage for a bunch of like just poor people just out in the streets. It was just, and so just because something is meant to be consumed doesn't mean that it's not art. It just means that it's a little bit of a different brand of art than something that's made to be performed in a concert hall. But honestly, most music that's written to be performed in concert halls right now is way inferior to what's, what's being written to be consumed in movies and in television. Right. Now, I, th- I do think that I would say that a lot of people don't consider plays or music to be art. Hmm. Mm, I don't know. Really? It's not a physical art. Uh, music is not a physical creation. No, but it's a, and it a is lot an of, art. well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm giving you the art school the definition, art school definition. Here. It's not a physical creation. It's not art. There's nothing you can look at. Now I would argue that, really, really people that really draw beautiful sheet music, that that in itself is art. But um, I bet the drama I, school I, answer is different than the art school answer. I'm not giving you the, um, my, my opinion here, but yeah. I am saying that there are a lot of people out there that would balk at calling a play art yeah. for the same reason they would balk at calling a movie art. And, and what I would say to a movie is that a movie is – now, I will say that some movies are more artistic than others. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is that a lot of people bring their art to the creation of a movie, whether yeah. it be the actors, the writer, the director of photography. I mean, that's a position on a movie that gets overlooked. People don't give those, those people don't get enough credit for the way a movie looks in the right. end. The movie right. um, and it is a there's a lot of art a lot of people bringing their art to make a movie complete. But yeah, the question of is the final piece art or not? And I mean, it is a product, but a product can also be. I, right. I, I, but I it's think like, it is it like, is it Picasso or is it motel art? <laughs> and <laughs> that, I mean, that's a fair distinction. All art isn't necessarily just great. Some of it's really mediocre. Yeah. In the eye of the beholder, as they say. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you guys bring up an interesting point. You know, uh, we uh, just to kind of dumb it down. We've got movies that are artsy fartsy, and a lot of people know what kind of movies those are. Mm-hmm. And then you've got movies that are you know designed to be released in the summer to fill seats and sell popcorn and make millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, is there a distinction between the two movies? The same, you know, effort goes into, you know, loading film in a camera and photographing whatever needs to be photographed and editing and, you know, scoring and and lighting, et cetera, et cetera. And like Andrew, like you said, I mean, each and every one of those um, 
people that are, you know, operating the camera, you know, setting up lights. I mean, they're bringing their, their talent and in some cases their art to this group effort. And, you know, it, it, it's different than, than obviously a, a, a painting that one man or woman, you know, creates, but it's still, you know, kind of a physical thing. I don't think it's, it's as an intangible as some of uh, the folks that, critique art as uh you know theater is not art music is not art because music definitely exists it's there it's something that we can experience so for me it is art and i agree with that shanti because you are really into like acting and and Mm -hmm. and 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 stuff like that what do you think about uh what andrew said as far as uh, you know the notion of of drama or or plays not being art versus maybe kind of like an artsy fartsy film and i know you know those types of it's a okay i can performance art as someone who you know danced ballet as a child and this and that i mean this has just always been in me so uh, to me acting it's just it's a type of art it's a performance art i understand what he's saying in terms of it's not a sculpture it's not a painting it's not something that was like physically created but um no, I, I, I still see plays as art. I see Broadway as art, definitely. But to talk about what we're going, I have a question. It just popped into my head for some reason. I don't know why my brain gets working when we talk about these things. What about a movie that is, like you say, artsy-fartsy, but then inadvertently becomes a product? And I'll give you an example. This just popped into my head. I love the movie Sideways. I love that movie. I consider that to be a film, greatly acted, won Oscars, this and this and that. But I also find it to be a really fun fact that after people watched that movie, wine sales went up like 20% after that movie. So at that point now, does that take away from the art of the movie that it ended up inadvertently selling some sort of a product? I don't think that movie was set out to you know, drive up wine sales, but it happened. So they're all, they're all products. They're all selling something in some way, even well, here, if it's not on purpose. Here's something that I would say that, and I, and I view art paintings, photography, the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point does it become art? Like I can just go out and take a picture yeah. and I can put it in a frame and, and put it online and say, here's a piece of art, please buy it. Right. But it's all subjective. A, a million other people could go out and take that same picture mm-hmm. with not, I mean, because it's, it's not because it's just a picture of, of a building right. or a car. There's nothing special about it, but some people would call that art. And I would say that that's true of paintings, whether you're just throwing, you know, you've got somebody that just, that's just throwing paint on a canvas. And for one per, one person makes, millions millions of dollars on it and the next person can't sell one to save their lives right at what point does it become art and i would say the same thing's true of movies um at at what point at what point i because to me i feel like there's there's some sort of threshold it's like you can create it you can put it out there and my art teachers hated this by the way but it's it, it 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 like somehow transcends just being a creation and becomes art when it receives some sort of approval from the masses as art. Um, so you're I, talking about being you know a, a 
a piece uh, being reactionary to the society that it's released into, correct? Right. Correct. Because obviously, you know, Star Wars or and any other movie that was created for mass appeal mm-hmm. because of its cultural significance becomes something more than the film itself. Yeah. You know, movies that go into the, you know, the, you know, the Museum of Narrative Arts or the, you know, the Hall of Fame of Movies or whatever you want to call it. You know, they, they weren't designed, you know, specifically to be placed there. Right. They were, uh, you know, they became that. And what Shanti was saying regarding, you know, a movie that was artsy fartsy that also became hugely popular and can sell a product or sell itself as a product, you know, the, uh, the same thing occurs in the opposite, on the opposite end of the spectrum. Some movies that are, um, you know, that are popcorn flicks or designed to really be out there. You know, there's this term that we, that we all know, you know, when a movie becomes a cult classic, Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, you know, that Mm -hmm. movie now is, is it art? Because a lot of people found found it, um, and a lot of people love it, so it's kind of an interesting, you know, scenario. You know, how many yeah. times can we take, you know, that that uh, that painting of dogs playing poker, put it in a nice <laughs> frame, and take it uh, to the art institute and sell it for millions of dollars? We don't mm-hmm. know, right? And, it, and it's a lot of this depends on how you define art, because I would say art is meant to inspire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I would say that. If, if that's your definition and you want to work all these things we've talked about and look at a film like Star Wars, I mean, honestly, like in pop culture, what has inspired more than Star Wars? True. Inspired people to be uh, good the, I mean, or creative. The, the or, amount of art yeah. that has been created because of Star Wars, the um, number of people who have gone into music because of the music of John Williams, specifically technology. because of that, the technology end of it, it, it has you know, a movie like Star Wars that changed the world. Um, another, like uh, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, probably the last good movie he made, The Village. And a lot of people don't like that. But I had to watch The Village twice before I really got it because that is the one of the most beautiful movies ever made. I got so lost in the imagery of that movie that I just completely lost what was going on in it the first time mm-hmm. I watched it. Wow. Um, it is a yeah. stunning movie. Well, you, you just gave me chills talking about Star Wars, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it really, I guess it really all depends on the reactionary forces at play after, after a piece of work is released out into the world. Um, you know, you can't, you can't call a new release art until it's reacted upon you know, months, weeks, years later, um, as we see from, uh, you know, from movies that we've just talked about. Right. Well, and, really there were, and there were great sculptors and great musicians of the past whose, whose music or their, their art weren't appreciated until years after they died. Mm-hmm. Bach. Yeah. He was just an organ teacher. Didn't yeah. Tchaikovsky himself hate the Nutcracker and now look, look, I mean... <laughs> Look how often the Nutcracker yeah. gets played, and I think it's the, like the most beautiful music. So mm-hmm. it's true. Excellent. We have uh, discovered the secret of art. Any uh, <laughs> final for today? Final, yeah, for today's definition. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good day. It's a good day. Uh, any uh, final thoughts on the uh, mass appeal of art versus f- art versus fartsy? I guess I don't know. <laughs> 
I, I just, I think that, you know, just to be very cliche, art's in the eye of the beholder. It is. That's oh, true. Yep. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. So I guess we didn't answer anything. No. <laughs> it's, <okay>. it's subjective. <laughs> it is subjective. Yeah. Awesome. Our final topic on tonight's quick cuts. Um, I think it was suggested by one of our followers. I want to say Ali K, but I'm not sure. But uh, if it it is if it is Ali K, thank you, Ali. If it's not, speak up. Uh, whoever suggested this, uh, thank you so much. So we've got. Um, Obviously, uh, the internet has given us uh, the opportunity to voice our opinions and create reviews on movies that we like or don't like. Uh, there's a lot of opinions out there. A lot of people that are kind of, you know, kind of, I'll call them, you know, closet movie reviewers. Uh, but we all, because of uh, this microphone in front of us, uh, you know, we've all been given a platform uh, in order to, uh, I guess, uh, you know, give our two cents. Uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes not so much. Um, but uh, the third topic I wanted to talk about is uh, reviews and how Rotten Tomatoes has really, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and websites like that have really kind of changed the landscape of, uh, of actual critiquing. I think a lot of people use critique in kind of a weird way where it's just like, you know, you're yelling into a void, I'm critiquing a movie or kind of breaking down, you know, the method and the madness of said director by actual critiques and and the right way of doing it. But how much of that uh, do folks really rely on in order to make a decision about liking a film or not liking a film? Um, Marisha, I'll start with you. What do you think? So I'd like to say, no, I'm a free thinker. I'm not influenced by what people on the internet say. I'm an adult. But yeah, I'm probably influenced by what people on the internet say. <laughs> I mean, occasionally I'll watch a movie that I've been putting off for years and because everyone hates it because, you know, it's just the worst thing ever. And I'll watch, like, I didn't hate Ju- Jupiter Ascending. I know that it was widely hated, but I watched it. I was like, I actually enjoyed that movie. So occasionally I think um, I can kind of surprise myself, but especially if you're kind of listening to more than it was terrible. If you're listening to like specific critiques, like I didn't like the directing. I didn't like the lighting. I didn't like this. That's going to be in the back of your mind when you go to watch it. Um, so honestly, generally, if there's a movie that I'm excited about seeing, I don't really like to see what people are saying about it ahead of time, because I want to be able to enjoy it for what it is instead of what my preconceived notions are of what it's going to be. Absolutely. And, you know, I know, um, I did the same thing with, uh, the new He-Man, um, animation on Netflix and how everybody was hating on it. I started watching it just to see well, why is, why is it getting all this hate? And I'm, you know, I think I'm three episodes in, I don't really see anything that's like super objectionable, but obviously I I didn't really grow up with He-Man as like my go-to like cartoon. Um, But so far what I'm seeing, it's, uh, it's, it's all fine. But uh, Shanti, I'm going to switch over to you. And I know you're a very, very independent mind. (laughs) And what? I just want to to ask you, All like, are, are are you uh, influenced by online 
opinions as far as movies that you go and see. And you obviously you just went to go see a couple times. You went to go see Suicide Squad, and obviously yes. that you know you either hate it or you love mm-hmm. it. But um, what are your thoughts on that? So I use I used to be heavily reliant on reviews when I was in high school, when we used to actually get a physical newspaper. And I would wait for the Miami Herald to come in every Friday just so I could read the reviews and see the stars and this and this and that. And it, it wouldn't influence me in, in the sense of whether I was going to go watch the movie or not, but I used it more as, okay, now I'm going to use this to make my own comparison. Not so much to actually listen to the reviewer and say, and to want to agree with them. It was always just to, I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to formulate my own opinion and I'm going to see if I agree with this or if I don't. Now, now it's become more of just an OCD thing of checking Rotten Tomatoes, but I don't <laughs> put any emphasis on it. Uh, of course, obviously with the power of social media now, there are certain things you just can't ignore. So obviously with Suicide Squad coming out, my Twitter has just been flooded with nothing but just, you know, everyone praising the movie. And I went to the theater, paid to see it twice. And I personally loved it. But I still have my own opinions and I still have my own as quote unquote, as you said, critiques about it. And I still don't, you know, 100% feed into all the hype. I I don't want to be influenced in that way. Although I like it when it goes the other way and people are bashing it. Because then my expectations are lower, and then I might end up liking it just for, you know, pure fun and just turning off my brain kind of thing. Kind of like with Godzilla versus uh, Kong. King Kong. I had no interest in seeing it, went in with very low expectations, settled in on my couch, popped it on, turned the lights off, and I was like, you know what? I really wish I could have seen this in the theater. I really enjoyed it. That was fun. That's funny. And I had the opposite reaction to that movie. I wish I didn't see it in the theater. <laughs> was it, it was anything kind of, to write home about? No, uh, but right. it entertained me. But my seven-year-old sure did love it. <laughs> again, he was a fan. Yeah, again, uh, eye of the beholder, watching mm-hmm. these things uh, through the eyes of uh, different people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that really is, you know, the, the secret to uh, critiquing is, you know, you're mm-hmm. critiquing something you're – you're expecting to uh, to explain certain things, but um, Andrew, as an artist too, I mean, what uh, what kind of critiques um, kind of put you, uh, or, or what kind of critiques make you like freeze and kind of like look at something in a different way? Are you influenced by all so, that? I, I would say I'm not heavily influenced. I think it's impossible to intake lots of it and still be completely unaffected by it, but. Um, I kind of obsessively read or listen to reviews. and But the thing is, that I've reached a point with it, and, and I would kind of encourage people to do this, find people that that sort of line up with what you like and what you don't like. And those are the people you should be following. Now, I listen intentionally to people that I often find that I don't agree with. I listen to those because I want to see what they're saying. But I know going into those that, I'm probably going to have a different take than they do. Um, But I think that 
I think that for a lot of people, I think a lot of people miss out on a lot of stuff they would probably really enjoy because of what critics say. And I, and I would say the solo, I would say the number I was one thinking of that too. Yeah. yeah. Solo was very hurt by that. You know, you can blame a lot of things for what happened to solo, but the people that were hating on it before it even came out really had an effect on that. Of course, Rise of Skywalker was like the greatest thing Star Wars ever made. And so we all had expectations out of the stratosphere for that one because all the, the previews. But I mean, I go further back. Like the number one reason I don't take critics too seriously, uh, go back and look at a movie like Hook. I don't know how y'all oh. feel about that movie, but that movie is a pretty beloved classic. Yeah. It's sitting at 29% on Rotten Tomato. It's Steven Spielberg's most poorly reviewed movie. That's even he doesn't really even he didn't really like it himself. Nope. And he That's only appreciated it after Robin Williams passed away, but even it he is, didn't really like it, the movie. And it is one of Robin Williams' most charming roles he ever That's played. Like- Oh, man, I love that my childhood. Yes, mine too. And, and that's the one I always pull out. You know, people Me get too, too hung up on reviews. I pull that one out and I say, look at the reviews on this. I just watched because it. Because you very rarely will run across someone that just hates that movie. But the mm-hmm. critics sure did. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, Andrew, in the past, we've talked about when we put out Twitter polls and who you're releasing this poll to. And we can... You know, uh, based on different accounts and different people that are seeing this, we're going to get different answers. And I feel that sometimes, you know, the critics uh, that are, you know, being polled on Rotten Tomatoes, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like, well, who are these who are these people that hate this wonderful, wonderful movie? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, why are they wrong? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times I think critics just don't like things that they consider to be, you know, mass market movies they don't like I mean, superhero movies or monster to, movies or i feel like a lot of them it may not be what they're actually paid to do but i feel like they feel like it's their job to nitpick movies to death mm-hmm. right and they let some of their nitpicks about a movie i mean it's rare to watch a movie that i can't find something to nitpick in but sure. it's like they will totally let that ruin a movie for them yeah um home alone 2 is one of the is one of the great Christmas movies. The both of the first two Home Alone movies are both great movies, but critics hated the second one because it played on so many of the same tropes as the first. It was a rehash. What a great rehash! But though. that's another one that's sitting down about thirty like percent on Rotten Tomato yeah. just because they nitpicked it to death. Mm-hmm. Crazy! It's almost like there should be like subsects of different critics like i don't want someone who's mainly critiquing oscar type films watching a marvel movie of course you're not gonna like it i don't want right. to listen to you that, that movie is not made for you you're not going to be able to separate me i love all movies i'll watch anything i don't care i can wear the different hats and be able to critique differently because i can appreciate mm-hmm. different types of movies and different types of films but i'm not going to sit here and compare American Beauty to Endgame. I'm not going to do yeah. that. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. I, 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 you can't. I think you hit on something pretty big there because a lot of these people became movie critics for very specific reasons because they really right. like this type of movie. And then suddenly they're reviewing Pixar films. 
Right. Okay. And they wanted to go watch Citizen Kane. All right. Day, that's not day. your arena anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, that's a, a really excellent point. You know, my, my business partner, he's uh, he's definitely, he loves one, a certain aspect of, of movies, a certain genre, but I feel like he, he's so grounded in, in the aspect of, of movies and, and storytelling that he can, he is able to switch that hat and um, objectively, you know, critique a certain movie, whether with, you know, whatever genre it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of professional movie reviewers are, are able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there seems to be, you know, it's almost like a get off my lawn uh, situation yeah. with right. movie reviewers, you know, why are you, you know, you like this kind of movie. Why are you reviewing this? It, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the talent to be able to, uh, you know, objectively, you know, critique something um, is rare. And um, it's just it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head, though, as far as different people reviewing different genres. It's just uh, right. kind of a very uh, specific talent to be able to do that. Sometimes my brain works, Ro. <laughs> Go have a milkshake. <laughs> My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours. Awesome. Any final thoughts on any of our three topics? Shanti, I know sometimes your brain kind of uh, starts <laughs> to go off in a different uh, direction when we start talking about these things, but. Uh, what do you think? Any final thoughts? No, this time it happened while we were actually recording and not an afterthought for once. Yeah, sometimes I'll get a text and she'll say, oh my God, I should have said this. I'm like, I keep saying we need to have a Scarif afterthought section. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what Twitter's for. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. And then Andrew, I thought that. Oh, Andrew, anything else? I don't think so. No, I think, I mean, we've, we've delved the, uh, or plumbed the depths of the definition Mm -hmm. of art and we've decided that, you know, we fixed the problem with, with the critics industry. (laughs) So I think this has been a pretty, pretty productive little session. We've saved the world. We have definitely (laughs) saved the world. Yes, (laughs) That is awesome. I love that. Andrew, Marisha, where can folks find you if they want to look for you? And thank you again for coming on our show tonight. What do you guys? Absolutely. Thanks again for having us. And uh, you can find us, um, our shows, uh, the Science Fictionary Podcast, our Coruscant Radio Underground, pretty much anywhere you would want to listen to a podcast. You can find us at crew underscore podcast on Twitter. That's C-R-U underscore podcast. Awesome. Um, let's see. You can find me on Instagram. I am princesses underscore and underscore Padawans and I'm P Padawans on Twitter. Excellent. There's a show in the past and I don't know if it was a team up, uh, between us or if it's one show that, that you guys were doing without Scarif. I remember you, uh, describing the underscore. And every time I hear you uh, say the uh, princess underscore Padawan, I always think of that, that explanation and how, you know, it just, I think you said it visually, it looks cool, but I have to say underscore every single time. And I hate it. That's hilarious. It it sounds dumb, but it looks good. (laughs) So here we are. (laughs) And Shanti, my wonderful co-host, how about you? You're all Um, over the place lately. I'm on Twitter. 
at uh, Chantal729, and I'm actually going to be on with our newest member of the Red 5 Network, Alan, at Alan Press Play. We're going to be talking about The Suicide Squad on Thursday, and I most likely will be watching it a third time since it's on HBO Max, just so I can prep for it. So I'm looking forward to that. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Like I said, uh, you're making your rounds, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful to see you out there. It's also wonderful to see our, uh, you know, our Red Five Network uh, growing. growing. We got Alan from mm-hmm. uh, Press Play Studios, so that's fantastic. Give him a uh, look up. He does a lot of YouTube stuff as well. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. Excellent. So uh, we're going to shut it down for tonight, but thank you guys uh, again for joining us on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast quick cuts show. Uh, this one is a good one. I think we, uh, we solved uh, many an issue, saved the world, like you said, Shanti. Yep. And, um, you know. We're superheroes now. Superheroes. Yes. We, can we, just all... we got we to gotta get our, our get ups going. In the words of Polka Dot Man, go watch the movie. <laughs> I saw a gif, Polka Dot Man. I'm like, really? I, you know what? I loved his character. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you just found our uh, podcast, thank you very much for our current uh, and wonderful uh, Scuttlebutt family. Thank you for tuning in again. This is Ro from the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Brad, be safe wherever you're at. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Hey, Scuttle Buddies, Ro here. I just want to say a heartfelt thank you to our patrons, wonderful folks who have found it in their hearts to support what we do. We're lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales, the Salty Crew at Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt, super fan of all pods on the Red 5 Network, Nicholas Schaefer, big thanks, Nick, Chad at Hyperspace and Holocrons, and Jay from Florida. If you want to be even more involved in the Scare of Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, we'd really appreciate it. Head over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt. And until next time, remember, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5Network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. Network.